and John, well, he started off as a young man like you. And I would have said like me, but as you know, I'm 40 now, so I can't lie to you. Okay? You know, and he was, he was a businessman. He was full of things. You know, he was strong. He was powerful. Where he went, he wanted to go. He mixed with high people. He dressed well. You know, and life was before him. He was a son of thunder. You know, and then, well, he got old. He got old, and he celebrated more than just his 40th birthday party. You know, and then you come to Revelation, and he's an old boy. He's an old boy. And the strength of youth has gone, you know. And the Lord Jesus comes to him, and he calls himself a servant, a slave of the Lord Jesus. So it's just that growth from coming out of Egypt and being full of his own strength to realizing, actually, we can't get there on our own strength. We can't do it. The, the, the journey is too big. Uh, what I'd like to say you now is just to show you what Jesus show John, and it's going to be very quick, I, I, I can't do the Australian accent, you know, I know, <laughs> but we're just going to really, really just skip through Revelation, okay, and just so that the themes we looked at, those, those people that we walked with back in Sinai, you know, they're no different to you and to me, you know, those people that we were with in Jerusalem, they were there, all they'd done was they said, let's go up to Swanwick this weekend, and they went up to Swanwick, and little did they know that everybody left behind was going to be destroyed by the Assyrian power. They were no different to you and me. And Jesus says to John, I want you to give a letter, a revealing, to people still to come, to say to them, don't lose sight of what you've heard. Don't lose sight of what's been told you, because these things haven't passed. They're going to happen again. And you need to know what happened in the Old Testament. You need to know what happened in the wilderness. You need to know how those people responded so you know how to respond when the same situations occur so that we're not caught out like some of those were and perished in the wilderness so that we can have that vision that says, I, can, I, don't, I, know, I can't see a way through this. As far as I'm concerned, we're surrounded by giants. These men are mightier than I, bigger than I. There's no way out from the situation we're in. Sin and death will encompass us. And God says, no, there is a way of escape. I've always given a way of escape to those who love me, to those who put me first in their lives, to those who want me in their lives. And, and you know, you come to Revelation and nothing's changed because God's declaring the end from the beginning. That's the way he works. That's why he started like, well, why don't we start back in Adam and Eve in paradise? Because he says, that's what I want. That's the relationship I want with you all. I want to walk with you in the cool of the day. I want you to take, take you by the hand as my children. And I want to show you wonderful things. I want to give you my wisdom, more knowledge than you could ever accrue in this lifetime. I want to impart to you because you're my children. And that's the, that was the beginning. And that's the end. That's where he's taking us to. So, in Revelation 4, verse 1, you can follow me with this, or you can just if, yeah, follow it. I'm not going to quote the verses because we haven't got much time. 4, verse 1, a door is opened in heaven. And John looks into heaven. And what does he see in chapter th uh, 4, and verse 3? He sees what the 70 elders saw back on Mount Sinai in the wilderness. He sees the same sight that they saw, that he that sat was to look upon like a jasper stone and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about him, a throne in sight like unto an emerald, 
And in verse 6, and before the throne, there was a sea of glass. You remember the clearness of Mount Sinai? Like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, around about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. It's the same God. It's the same God of Sinai as the same God that we worship today. He hasn't changed. He's consistent. And the noise is the same in verse 5. If we were there when the children of Israel in the wilderness, remember, and, and the mountains shaked and quaked, here we come in chapter 4, and the same's happening. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, voices, and the seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. If you went to 1 verse 10, you'd hear that the sound is the same when God speaks. It's the sound of a trumpet sounding forth. And the purpose is still the same. Revelation 1 verse 6, and God hath made us kings and priests unto God and to his Father. That's what he wanted from his people from the very beginning, that there would be a nation of priests, and he wanted to bring the whole nation to him, consecrated, holy, all of them coming to him to be his priests in the wilderness. And, of course, they fell in the wilderness. They didn't respond to the call. And the call going out to us today is still the same. Uh, the ESV translates that to make us a kingdom and for us to be his priests. It's the same call for us today. And the mechanism for us to get there is still the same. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed, happy is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Nothing's changed. And you know, as we looked at, God was very, very precise in his dealings with the children of Israel. He counted 140 and 4,000 days from the promise to Abraham to the time he fulfilled that promise and brought the people out of the land. Uh, sorry, for those who weren't here, 400 years was the time of the promise of, of their uh, captivity, and 400 years is precisely lunar years, 144,000 days. Of course, it comes to Revelation, God's still counting. He's still counting heads. He's just checking, you're all here. You know, he wouldn't miss one. Do you know what I mean? He knows that everyone's in the room. Do you know what I mean? You know, if you bunk off, he knows you're not here, because he's counting heads. And of course, you come to Revelation, and he's counted 144,000 heads. You know, and if you like that sort of thing, and you want to play with that sort of thing, that's not the only time that God's counting. Uh, you remember in Matthew 1, Matthew makes it very clear that there's three sections of 14 to take you again from Abraham to the Christ. 14 genera 42, sorry, generations, three times 14. And you come to Revelation and all the way through, what's the crucial time period? 42 months. The same again, the time period and the number of time is identical. Because our God is very good with time. And our God is very good with people. And no one is lost who he wants. And you know, there's a great comfort, because if you went to Psalm 87, verse 6, he's counting us. He's counting you and me. He's counting heads. He's counting people. And do you know what? He says these are the people who are part of Jerusalem. That they're born in Jerusalem. Spiritually born in Jerusalem. Part of the new Jerusalem. He's counting you and I. And he won't lose any one of us. Let's move on if we can. Here we go to Revelation chapter 9. And I just wonder. I don't know if you played this game. We played a game as a family called Bible Snap. Now, I ought to explain what we played before you see what we did. Because the, the Bible is pictorial. Beautiful pictures, repeated, worked upon, you know, embroidered, added to, different aspects brought in. So when we do the readings together as, uh, as a family, we play Bible Snap, and we look for like, like for like, similar situations. 
You know, what happens? What would the, does this tie in with this? It's, it's a nice game to play, and it just keeps the pictures in your mind. It keeps you thinking about these things, you know, as you're reading. And, and in Revelation chapter 9, I mean, I just wonder when John saw this um, revelation of, of this nation coming down, uh, whether John's mind went back to Isaiah, you know, and he just remembered what Isaiah saw. When he stood on those walls of Zion, and he watched Assyria sweep down through the land, you know. And I just wonder if John's mind went back to Isaiah 30. You know, because in the, the picture here of Revelation 14, if we just go through, um, the, 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 the same revealing is there that was in Revelation 30. Because if you look, uh, remember when God destroyed the Assyrians, in Isaiah's time, by causing majestic voice to be heard, in furious anger, a cloudburst, and a storm and hailstones? Well, it's the same in 14, verse 2. And I heard the voice from heaven as the voice of many waters. It's the way God worked in Isaiah to destroy the Assyrians. It's the same way he's working in Revelation, again using water. And in verse 3, um, oh, so we'll move on from there. Sorry, here we go. Right, now, and I wonder as well, if you just flick over just quickly to chapter 16, whether when John saw this vision, his mind went back to the children of Israel in Egypt. Um, in chapter 16, verse 3 to 4, you have the, the plague of the water into blood that was brought upon the Egyptians. In chapter 16, verse 3, 13, you have the plague of the frogs. In chapter 16, verse 2, you have the boils and the, the plague of the grievous sores. In chapter 16, verse 8, 18, and 21, you have hail and fire, which came down with the hailstones on the plagues of Egypt. In the 16, verse 10, you have thick darkness. And in 16, 17, you have the phrase, it is done, the death of the firstborn. And all of the pictures that we've looked at that happened to those people long ago are coming out as threads through the book of Revelation still to be revealed. And the response of us to these things is crucial. The response to the call to go up to the Day of Atonement in the time of Isaiah was the difference between life and death. You know what? Nobody in the land of Israel knew that. Nobody knew that that was going to be the year when God would bring the Assyrians against them. It was a swanic like any other swanic. Do you want to go or do you not want to go? Well, you know, who went last year? And the speakers are rubbish. Why would you want to go next year? See, I mean, I didn't mean that. Sorry, I suddenly realised what I said, brother. I'm going to take that, take that all back. Sorry, but you, you know, that's me. I was talking about. But do you know what I mean? And we and we view these things as if we have a choice, and whether it's a factor in our lives, and whether you know, well, you know, should should we grace it with our presence? And God saying, no, I'll put something on for you. You're my children, and I want you here to be part of my family, here for one another, and you make. You come, and who knows what you've been avoided from, kept from. Because here we go in chapter 16, verse 19, the choice is before us. Chapter 16 verse, nine, um, 16, verse 9 and 11, you know, we could be like Pharaoh. You know, all terrible things are happening in our lives, the plagues of Egypt. And what did Pharaoh do? He repented not. He, was, he refused to be touched by it. You know, all these terrible things are coming on his people. His land is devastated. Everything is destroyed. You know, I'm not bowing before the God of heaven. No, he repented not. And yet there, look, in Revelation 16, verse 15, you just have a glimpse. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. 
You just have a glimpse of those waiting. Keepeth his garment. Who was keeping their garments when the final plague, plague came on Egypt? Who? The children of Israel. Because what weren't they allowed to do? They weren't allowed to go to sleep, were they? Because they were keeping the Passover and they had to do it dressed, shod, ready to go when the cry went forth. And they waited all night, and it's called a night of watching, dressed and ready to go for the cry to sound. And when does the cry sound? At midnight. At midnight sounds cries the, the cry went forth. You know, there's another episode when a cry goes forth at midnight. There's another episode where people should have been up, ready, watching, dressed, ready to respond to the call, and it's the parable of the ten virgins. Same time, midnight is the time that the cry goes forth. And you know what? The children of Israel were all awake when the cry went up for Passover. They were all awake. And you know what Jesus says? Concerning my children, the ten virgins, I know they'll be all asleep. They all slumbered and slept. And not one of them was awake when the cry went out. We're, we're in a night of watching. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're not always that watchful. We're slumbering. And you know what? Ten virgins were there, and you couldn't tell the difference between them. They all had splendid clothes on. They all looked beautiful. You know, they'd all come to Swanwick with their, their best garbs. You couldn't tell the difference until the cry sounded, till the trumpet sounded. And then the difference was so marked. And do you know what the difference was? Five of them were wise. Five of them had worked hard to put oil in their lamps. Five of them had done the readings. They were filled up with the word of God. And when the cry went forth, they knew how to respond. They knew where they were going, and they knew where salvation was. They knew that if they put themselves in the Lord's mercy, he'd be gracious unto them, because they knew the God they worshipped. And five of them, for their lamps were empty. They hadn't done their readings. And you know when that chart came down that Simeon put before us? No one knows in this room who's who in that chart. But you don't know if I've just been fibbing all weekend. Yeah? If I'm going to go back now, and I've got a car magazine for my birthday, which I'm very grateful for, Jakey, thank you very much. And that'll be it. This week will be out because I've got a car magazine. <laughs> you don't know. And I don't know what you do. But what I you know... And, and the thing is, we can have wonderful collective times like this together. But you know what? God's after a relationship with us as a father to a son, as a father to a daughter. And, and, I, and I could kid you this weekend that I am righteous. I know you wouldn't believe it. I know. But, you know, I know you can say all the things in the world. We can say all the right things to one another. But the relationship between a father and a son is actually going on in your heart and what you're thinking. And it's the relationship which will come out on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday when no one else is looking. That's the time that God's looking for, when away really from this collectiveness where we read, which is good for us, I'm not denying that, but he wants to know that that fervor, that zeal, has eaten you up so that on Monday, do you know what you're going to do Monday morning? Well, you wouldn't get out of bed surely without a prayer. Surely you wouldn't get up without a reading. And to make these things habitual, make these things part of your life, to make yourself part of the family of God. Because for a minute, the door is open. 
But of course, at the end of that parable, in Matthew 25, the door is shut. We have a time appeared before us to respond, to respond now. Um, now, I'm going to do something very, very quickly, if I can. Here we go. Are you going to have to take my word for this? Is that okay? All right, okay, because I want to take you back, okay, over here to the children of Israel on the mount. Now, did it, I'm getting a bit old for this. I am aware of that. Don't get me wrong. But did any of you ever have those ladybird books with, like, really fancy oil pictures on, you know, with a text when you were growing up? Did you have those in Sunday school? I'm sure you did, because no one ever throws anything away from a Christadelphian Sunday school, and the same literature just keeps getting used from generations. <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed in that, did you see that? Big Mount Sinai, Moses hitting the rock, jumping with his staff like this, and everyone going, going <laughs> you, I know, you know what I'm talking about now. There you go. It's a good artist impression, isn't it? Now, <coughs> I put it to you, that's wrong. Can I say that? Because the people who did those never read scripture. If you read the text, and you're going to have to look this up, this is homework, Moses smites the rock in Exodus before the Lord. Now, where's the Lord? At the bottom of the mountain or the top of the mountain? Top of the mountain, thank you very much. And the water descended out of the mountain. Now, can it do that if it's at the bottom? No, it can't. Okay, now, um, I'm gonna, uh, you're going to have to give you a reference here, or this will be unfair. So we've got the water from descending. Now, Psalm 105, verse 41 says this. The waters gushed out, ran in the dry places like a river... Now, all of a sudden, hang on a minute, it's a brook back in Exodus. And when we come to Psalm 105, it's a river. So, hang on, let's put this together. Moses is at the top of the mount with the 70 elders. And when he went up there to do that, we don't know. That's that thing. So he smites the rock. The water comes out like a brook. It descends, it gushes out. And by the time it comes down into the valley, it's a river. Now, it's got to be a river because when God brings those two million Israelites for him to be his sanctified people, they have to be washed. And two million people are going to wash their garments in the water that's come out of the mount. Now, if it's just a brook, I have a feeling we'd be having a little bit of fisticuffs, don't you? You know, I mean, if you reduced our toilet capacities here, you know, to just a couple of cubicles, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't be that civil with one another. I need to go. <laughs> How long is she going to spend on her hair? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And uh, so it's a river for two million people to wash in it. Now, where does that mind take you? Bible snap. We're going to read it very shortly in our middle reading. Ezekiel. Yeah, because what does Ezekiel see in chapter 47? He sees it now. Uh, he does see a river, but is it a river when it comes out at the top of the mount? No, it's not, is it? Because he can, he can you paddle across it. Do you know what I mean? And he walks so far down the hill, and then he crosses over it. And he's going to roll his trousers up now because it's getting a bit deeper. And he walks so far down the hill, and it's deeper, and he walks so far down the hill, and he's saying, hang on a minute, I need armbands for that. <laughs> you know, it, it started off as a brook, and it comes out of the house of the Lord, on the mount of the Lord, and it comes down, and it gets bigger and bigger. And I put it to you that what God's doing on Sinai is he's actually giving them a snapshot of what he's going to do for us in the kingdom of God. And if you just come over quickly, and I need an ESV reader for this, if I could. Uh, could an ESV reader read for me uh, Revelation 21, verse 14? And why I've got an ESV reader, finding that out. Just because, just think, when we come to Revelation, what have we got again? We've got rivers of water flowing. What's God wanting to do in Revelation 21? He wants to bring his people unto himself. And he doesn't just bring them in and say, right, stay over there. You're a holy priesthood. Serve the nations. Thank you very much. 
Did you see how close he brings his people in? He brings them in so close he can wipe away the tears from their eyes. Do you know how close you've got to be to wipe away the tears from someone's eyes? Would, any, would, would you let somebody near your eyes? I mean, I'm sorry, but if I've got an eyelash in, this is, this is a, I, I know I have, a, I have a funny thing with eyes, I know that. I do have a funny turn. But only Hanny can do it because I don't want anyone that close to my face. Do you know what I mean? And God says, I'm going to wipe away the tears from your eyes. You need to know someone and love someone to let them that close. And when we come to Revelation 22, there's the river flowing through. ESV reader, please, for um, 21 verse 14. Somebody with a big voice? Anybody? Don't tell me only Southern lefties read ESVs. No, sorry, sorry, that's the wrong quote. That doesn't work. That's not you. That's totally me. Um, 22, verse 14. Sorry, bruv. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gate. Thank you very much. In order for the people of, of, of the wilderness of Sinai to come to God, they have to wash their robes. When you come here, nothing's changed. You need to have washed your robes in the water of life. Um, and if you want to carry on those pictures all the way through, if you remember when, they, when the elders went up, I'm running out of time here, so I know they're big pictures for you to take on, but you are the brightest people I've ever met, so I'm sure you can take it on board very quickly. Climbing up the mount, you remember they look up and they see, as it were, the, 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 the clearness of heaven. You know, they see the God, Lord God Almighty, and there's that sapphire. You know I mean? And that's how far they can see. And it's been said once before that the, that the ceiling of man is, is, the, is the floor for God. And you know when you come to Revelation and they look up into, into Revelation 4 and they see the saints there in the throne room and all the way through God shows in vision where he wanted his saints to be, where are they? Where are the saints in Revelation revealed to be? In the throne room of God. They're the other side of the congealed glass. They're on top now, not underneath looking up, they're on top because they've gone through the water that was congealed. When else was water congealed? Back here in the Exodus. The Red Sea. God congealed the Red Sea and he brought his people through. And Paul says they were baptized in the waters of the Red Sea and God brought them out of the land of sin and death and to the journey towards the promised land. That's the, that's, that's the picture of baptism there for us that's coming out. That we need to be washed in the water of life to go towards God's kingdom. Hey, do you want to raise the ante even more? Should we do this? Can we do this? Can I? It's just, you know, they're asleep, so no one's paying any attention. So, you know, I can just lock around up here. Here we go. <laughs> Come to Zechariah just quickly, okay? Because these things are very, very real things for us. Okay, Zechariah 14, we're now, we're back, we're back in Jerusalem, all right? We're back with the Assyrians coming down through the land. We've all come in here because it's the Day of Atonement. That's where we want to be. We want to be with our God. And, of course, Jerusalem is surrounded by 185,000 of the most chosen men. Come to Zechariah. Same picture. This time we're going forward. Um, here we go. So here we go. Zechariah 14. Uh, let me see where she is. Verse 2. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken. The houses rifled. The women's ravished. Half the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of people shall not be cut off. Same picture, same thing. Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, by nations. And what happened in the day of Isaiah? Well, 
Then shall the Lord go forth, and, sorry, 14 verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. It's the same picture, the way God is fighting. Um, if you want to carry on the picture, look, here we go in verse uh, 21. Remember that the, the people that the, the, the Israelites were always struggling with was the Canaanites. Those are the people in the land. Well, now we actually get to the end. The, the job is going to be done, which Joshua couldn't do. There will be no more Canaanites in the land. There's going to be plagues in Egypt in verse 19. And what's the whole point of this final battle? Well, to cleanse the land and to bring a people in verse 20, such that the words, holiness to the Lord, can sound forth in Israel. That's what God's wanted all the way through, a people to be holy to his name. And you know, the picture of Isaiah is going to be the picture he uses again. Because God's destroying the wicked. It's just what he did in Isaiah, isn't it? I'm stunned by this. He destroys the oppressor. He destroys the wicked by using an oppressor against them, then destroys the oppressor, and then redeems his people. And the, the means by which he redeems his people is the way which he causes the land to flourish. That's what he did in Isaiah. You want to come through to Zechariah. Zechariah, they're surrounded. Um, I don't know if you noticed in Ezekiel 38. Do you remember in Ezekiel 38, reading the other day, for those who are doing the readings, how God destroyed the northern host? By storm. Again, exactly like he destroyed the Assyrian host back there. And what a storm. So you've got it in, in uh, Ezekiel 38. God's using the natural things to destroy the nations of the world. He's brought his people, if you like, into a situation. He then delivers them. He frees the land from the oppressor. And he brings out his people into his promised land. And the, the detail to which God works is stunning. But that's a detail that we actually need to get practiced in. Because if you want to be citizens of that kingdom, you need to show the citizenship now. What protects us from that storm that will destroy the enemy of Ezekiel 38? We're back in Isaiah 4, aren't we? There was a storm there on the city. And do you remember what God did? He was an umbrella to his people. He sheltered them under his wings. He was a covert to them against rain and storm. So if we get underneath the wings of the Lord now, if we shelter under his wings, it doesn't matter what God brings upon the surface of the earth. We're his people, and he's going to bring us through. And yes, he might bring drought and <coughs> desert to all of the, the, the nations around and to all of the wicked. But you know what he did for his people in the wilderness? He caused the desert to blossom as the rose because the water of his word flowed forth. And he wanted to bring his people into the wilderness of Paran where he's going to glorify them and make them beautiful and bring them in to be his treasured people his children in his kingdom where he could be their God. And that is the thing that's set before us. And you know what? It won't just happen one day that we have an option of whether to change or not to change. It's a change we need to make every day of our lives because God wants that relationship with each one of us now so that we can experience every day the days of heaven upon earth. And I put it to you, if we put, if we put the Lord first in our lives and we do the reading we put our lives in prayer in his hands, he will put his umbrella over us and protect us from so many of the catastrophes that people around us will fall into. Uh, he'll protect us from so many snares and traps because his ways are beautiful. And he will cause the desert to blossom as the rose because if you do what is right in his sight, if you do what is pleasing to him, he will bless his people. The children of Israel had snags. I'm not promising you a snag-free life but it's far less snag-free than if you try and walk it on your own. 
because the end to that is that you will perish in the wilderness. Now, I'd like, can, I do, can I have a birthday speech? Is that all right? I am 40. I'm not 40 every day. Is that all right? <laughs> Thanks for coming to my birthday party. Thank you. You can leave the presents, all right, just outside. Is that okay? <laughs> I hope you all got my present list. Oh, I, know, you know. I did check in the store before I came, and not many had ticked the big items, but, you know, I'm living in hope. Right, now, I don't know you, but I get a bit reflective. Um, at milestones, because you look in the mirror and you think, wow, I'm not in my 30s anymore, I don't know, it's really amazing. And, uh, and I don't know, you know, if you look around, I mean, the lovely crowd here in Swan, I don't know how many people have been through Swan. You know, I, I doubt it's two million people, but it, I imagine the number's considerable. You know, and, um, <coughs> and I think at the time when I was your age, do you know what I mean? And I think of all the people I sat by side when I went to youth weekends. And I'm pretty sure if you pulled them all back together now, we had a reunion for all the 40-year-olds who'd sat with you, sat with me young, I'd put you the number would be a lot smaller than those who went through this room. You know, because you're young, life's before you, you've got energy, you've got looks, you know, everything's possible. So much potential. You haven't been worn down, you know, by work and kids. <laughs> How lovely they are. I was going to say wife there, but she sits in the front with you on the car back home, and that's not wise. <laughs> you know, but you have. You've got the whole world before you. And all of those people who sat with me 20 years ago have the whole world before them. <coughs> and if you brought them back now, those who are still seeking first the kingdom of God, who are still seeking first the days of heaven on earth, so many of the people I sat by have perished in the wilderness or have got lost, destroyed by the Assyrian lion, by sin and death, which as a roaring lion seeks to devour us. Um, these are real things, as Simeon has said. It's not just a pleasant song. Uh, this is life and death, really. And, it, and it's your life, uh, and it's your death that's placed before you. Uh, and God's not asking you to do anything great. He's just asking you to listen to his voice and to respond from your heart to the things that he's said and done. And, uh, and I know you come to Swanwick for the food. I know that and for the good accommodation. And then last of all, you know, for the, you know, secondly then for, of course, good spiritual food. And last of all, to find a, a wife or a, you know, a husband. I know that's not high on your agenda. But I mean this very, very sincerely because, you know, you know maybe if I put this before us, we didn't always do the readings. Can I be honest with you as a couple? <coughs> um, and, uh, you know, it was something that we thought, no, this is what we need to do. And we've had great comfort doing the readings together because it means as a family we're going in a, in a direction. You know, and it meant as well when we had times when we were in trouble, we had somewhere to go to, and we were going to the same place with the same mindset. We were understanding maybe the same parameters in our life in the same way. And we wanted to go and get through those problems to go to the same place. We were walking side by side. And those readings gave us direction. If you want the days of heaven on earth, Think very carefully who you marry. Because if you marry someone who doesn't do the readings, you're going to have big snags. Because you're going to be looking for a language. You're going to be looking in a direction. You're going to be looking for an influence which they don't want or haven't got. And if you marry out of the meeting, you're marrying someone who won't even understand where you're coming from, who won't understand what you're about, who has no idea of the vision that's set before us. Uh, 
it's life and death. Now, I, I can't say that's suicide, but there are, that's very, very scary place to go. We're just passing through. It only seems like yesterday I sat there and never dreamed that I'd ever be here. Do you know what I mean? It's just, life is so short. Make the right choices. Think carefully about them. And remember, we're only passing through. That's all. We're going somewhere which is beautiful, where God wants all his children to be with him for eternity. For eternity. And all the things we get caught up in this life, you know, the, the money, the looks, the, the clothing, the cars, the houses, is just fluff. That's all it is. And it means so much to us. But it's just fluff. It's temporal. It's going to disappear into the sand. And the only thing that's eternal is what God has promised us. His kingdom on earth. As it learn to experience it every day. Reading his word. Getting a taste for the days of heaven on earth. So that we can indeed hold on to that. Whatever may befall us. The Lord brings us into his paradise on earth. His garden of Eden. Thank you very much.